When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. First and ten. It's Cousin. And he'll throw. And he's got Rudolph. And he's got an open path to the end zone. Minnesota's got their first lead on a 36-yard touchdown pass. Cousins to Rudolph. <laughs> it, it was rough because for us, uh, definitely at one point you're thinking, like, no, we can't go into the no. with a loss. And, right. And it's mm. like in your mind you're like, it's not. Nah. Last year we had a loss to Buffalo, and it was like things weren't things weren't going right so far. I still go out there and win. It, just, it meant a lot at the right time, and now we're in a lot. Good Friday afternoon, everybody, in the Twin Cities and beyond. Uh, welcome to Purple Daily, the bi-week edition. Uh, I'm Brian Murphy, in uh, for Matthew Collar, who is presumably staying out of jail during his bi-week, but we Maybe. we can never we can never be sure. I haven't been scouring the Hennepin County jail records <laughs> as I used to when I covered the Vikings every bi-week. Every morning, you'd uh, hit refresh on that page to make sure everybody was uh, accounted for, or at least not... Uh, not behind bars, but uh, that's been a long time. Yeah, I, you know we give him a lot of guff and and you know make fun of him a little bit. Mine Metcalf joining us as well in studio. Um, it is the bye. The Vikings are sitting fairly uh, comfortably at eight and three, considering what they've uh, accomplished the last couple weeks. Again, we uh, we seem to reset the narrative as we do in the NFL every week. Right, the next game is the next biggest game and way to define your season. But uh, heading into the bye. Vikings are at eight and three. The Packers have a big game Sunday night coming off of their bye against San Francisco at eight and two. If the 49ers can win, uh, we'd have a temporary tie atop the NFC North at least. And, uh, I don't know, Myron, I, I, I think they have to feel fairly good about where they are considering at two and two coming out of a, an awful game in Chicago. And when Kirk Cousins spent the week apologizing for his awful play, yeah. uh, I don't think anybody really felt this was a playoff team. They probably thought this was a team that was going to fall apart in acrimony. So to be where they're at today with a week off, I think they got to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of moments, you know, where you, where you question the trajectory of this team. Um, and by the way, with Kyler, we all know he's somewhere watching film. <laughs> he's, he's watching some low-level D1 football, looking for a third receiver or something that... No one's no one's ever heard of, right? Um, and grinding for t- uh, yeah, his particulars. Some six round pick in the draft that he's going to talk about on the show. But I think, yeah, if if you're a Vikings fan, you look at this team, and, and there were a lot of moments, starting with Stevon Diggs not showing up for work and being like, "Oh, trade maybe." There's truth to all the rumors. That was a 
disastrous moment. Truth to all the rumors, but I don't know what you're all talking about. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and obviously the losses to Green Bay and Chicago. You, you you got the feeling early on, oh, man, here we go again. This is the same team. And, and, and for me, what I think really shifted the narrative was the Dallas win. Because the week before that, you lose to a Kansas City team without Patrick Mahomes, and it's like, okay, uh, unless everything's right for Kirk Cousins, this is still a team that can have a situation where you should win this game. You're you're not playing the MVP, and you still mess it up. And, and I think a lot of people were down on them then, and then you beat Dallas, and it, it changes the narrative. Buffalo, to me, was it was ugly, but it was a win. More than anything for me, it's like you know how bad these guys can be when they make mistakes. But you also know how good they can be. You're talking Denver? Well, I'm talking Minnesota. I mean, they can be as bad as they were in the first half of that game, down 20. But they also can be, I think, a team that could compete with the Green Bays and San Francisco's and any other top team in the NFC. So they're high. Their ceiling's very, very high, it appears, at this point. Well, and the way they came, but you know, look, you can uh, you can nitpick all they all you want about oh, falling behind 20 to nothing at home to Denver. But it this was a game that... You know, Kirk Cousins had to go out and win, and he did go out and win. They had four possessions in the second half. They scored touchdowns on all of them. He threw three of them. Um, and he also, I, we threw about this stat yesterday. I, I never looked it up, but I know it's something along the lines of either 12 touchdown passes or 15 touchdown passes against one interception since that Chicago game. And the one interception he threw bounced off a of Stefan Diggs face mask and yeah. into the arms of a defender. So, in a sense, essentially, he's been pretty much perfect as far as that. Uh, ratio goes since then. So mistake-free football, uh, but he also finally he won the primetime game against a, a playoff contender, which was huge. And he has led them on a f- fourth quarter, second half, fourth quarter comeback where the game was in his hands. He checked that box off as well. Uh, now, but can he, but can he do that? Can he do it again? And, well, and here we yeah. go. They got to go to Seattle. Yeah, it's Monday night. Another primetime showdown against a, a top contender on the road. A, a team that destroyed them last year and also led to the firing of their offensive coordinator and essentially the end of their yeah uh, prospects. Even though they did have a chance to win it, uh, get win their way into the playoffs against Chicago. But you could tell that season was off the rails at that point, and Cousins was not the answer at that point. In Seattle, so is he going to be able to avenge that? And if he, did, we were talking about this yesterday. If he doesn't, um, let's say he plays relatively milk toast, doesn't doesn't lose the game, but doesn't win it, and they lose in Seattle, do all the naysayers come back out of the woodwork right away and say this Probably. is not your man again, and you're overpaying him? And and I think the only way he's going to be able to overcome that is to uh, not just win a game in January, but several games in January and get to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, getting back to the NFC title game where Case Keenum was two years ago doesn't sound like a a measure of success for this season. Yeah, you can't move the bar. I mean, you just can't. Like I, I will say it a million times, but he was brought into a situation where you expected him to extend to add on to what had already been accomplished by making it to the NFC title game and not being very competitive, we might add, in that moment. And he needed a miracle to get there. You did. So you're expecting a guy to get you to that point, but now you've got a chance to win. You're playing against the best teams in the NFC. You've got a chance to win. So that should always be the bar for this team. Last year, obviously, was a failure. This year, they have the goods. It appears to play with any team in the league when they're at their best. What Seattle, to me, is going to show is that is the scenario I think they're going to end up in when it comes to the playoffs. They're probably going to be on the road, potentially, and now you've got to beat a really good team. 
And what Seattle, why Seattle's interesting is they're they're similar to the Vikings in terms of the defense can be hit or miss. Um, they don't have the offensive weapons, but it usually comes down to Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. So I think that to me is the scenario where you go, okay, fourth quarter on the road in Seattle, close game, Kirk Cousins versus Russell Wilson. Everybody's picking Russell Wilson. If Kirk Cousins in that situation can win in that environment against a guy who might be the MVP right now, I think a lot of people will say, forget getting into the playoffs, forget winning a game, let's start talking about the Super Bowl with the Minnesota Vikings because that to me would be certainly their most impressive win to go to Seattle and to, and to go toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson who has just been phenomenal. But at a minimum, the naysayers can come out one way or the other. He's your quarterback in 2020. I mean, that's already established. you know. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. There are a whole lot of situations in this league where people are going, is this guy someone we can trust going into 2020? That's not Minnesota's situation. And I think at the start of the year, Murph, that was kind of the question, is this going to be so disastrous that you kind of got to eat that third year just to put yourself in a position to make uh, the best of the situation you have with the weapons that you've signed? Now we're going, it is Kirk Cousins' team. This is his show. And everybody, whether you're on the bandwagon or not, this is what you get. We'll see how he performs in the final game. And you're getting now you're starting to hear the chatter about he's already halfway through the deal. What about an extension? Yeah. Is that something you go out on a limb and do? I say no. I mean, I don't think it's asking, considering how much they've guaranteed to him. Yeah. I don't think it's asking too much to see him perform in January before you even entertain the idea of extending him beyond 2020. Now that he got treated that way in Washington year after year with a franchise. Right. Uh, but the, you know, he's been rewarded enough where I think the Vikings, uh, can, can protect themselves as long as they can on this investment and see how he performs in the postseason, assuming he gets to the postseason, which it looks like it's, it's pretty good now. And like you said, if, if he does this against Seattle, their schedule sets up really well. I mean, you've got, you got home games against Detroit and Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and which one uh, of those are going to be a weird game, right? Detroit always, mm, it's always something weird. With yeah. Them. Well, it, it, well, if or there's something at stake at, against Chicago, yeah, uh, week 17, and you're probably looking at Chase Daniel, who carved yeah. them up uh, earlier this season. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see Trubisky. No, uh, probably by that point. Um, and then you got a road game against the Chargers, who you know don't don't impress me much. But you're still, it's another night game, and you're flying all the way out there. That's a wild card too. So, uh, but it it's not. In the least, a forbid. You know, the the Seattle game is the end of the the meat grinder portion of their schedule, which they've been in now for a couple of weeks. Yes, yeah. thirteen and three seems feasible. I mean, if you get by Seattle, certainly, and everything on, on riding on the Green Bay game at home. Yep. I mean, the division will be clinched that night. And now you're talking home home field advantage, and that's potentially big. if you get in that situation, big ta- for him probably Cousins. I mean, you wanna you want Kirk Cousins to have an opportunity to play at home, right? Uh, going on the road. We all know the stats and the numbers. You don't want to put him in that situation if you can avoid it. But I will say in terms of the extension, I don't think you have to rush that because you're about to pay Dalvin Cook, uh, who I thought they should have paid earlier this year because his price tag just keeps going up. But with Dalvin, Thielen, Diggs, Rudolph, young Irv Smith, who gets better and better every week, I think there are other guys you could put in Kirk Cousins' situation and they would be effective and efficient. I think if you're the Vikings, you know that you've got, I think, the best skilled players in the NFL. I mean, who has a better set of tight ends, wide receivers, and running yeah. backs in and, the league? Depth. Depth. I mean, who who has that? There aren't many uh, teams that can say they can match that. But I would hold off. Let's see what happens this year. 
Now, if he makes a run to the Super Bowl, even the NFC Championship game, I think you give him that extension. Because his price is going up that way, too. Definitely. But right now, I don't think that's something you have to address. And again, if they get blown up by Seattle, we're going to be right back to of course. what if. You know, what's going to happen with this team? Because, Murph, I don't think getting to the playoffs and losing early, right? That does nothing. That, that's not a successful season. Nope. Been there, done that. Even if you win a game and you get destroyed after that, that's not a successful season. You got to do what you did in Dallas consistently in the playoffs. That still remains the question. That's what they paid for. That's and that's, what, that's who they signed all these pieces for. And that's what this market is invested for. Right 100%. Now. I mean, you know, we've talked about it before. You can talk about the, the four Super Bowl losses, but that's, that's ancient history. They're 0 6 in NFC championship games since then. And including some in the last 10 years, they've had two awful losses. Yes. So getting to the NFC championship game is not even going to be that fulfilling. They need to cross that, that barrier finally yeah. get to the big game. I think you got to, I mean, are, you, granted, if you get to the Super Bowl, your ultimate goal, of course, is to win it. But I think there would be a huge uh, level of, uh, there'd be a weight lifted off of fans and the franchise crossing that bridge into the Super Bowl and putting themselves in a position to compete for a championship for the first time in 45 years after so many painful losses in the NFC Championship game. And they're probably going to have to put it in the hands of their quarterback because what you don't want to do to put it in the hands of a kicker. Yeah, no, you don't want not to be here. Position. No, not anytime soon in a big in game. Position. No, but Dalvin Cook having a guy like that, having a game breaker like that, opens up everything. You know, that's the thing. The skill players are so good, they're going to have a chance. But I also think that you know this is a team where we talk a lot about Minnesota. The rest of the NFC, there, there's no power. I mean, there's no team where you go, oh my goodness. It's the it's the Kurt Warner's L.A. Rams. Yeah, there's no Patriots. The Cowboys of the mid nineties. I mean, there's no team like that. I mean, San Francisco, really good defense. Do you trust Jimmy Garoppolo in the postseason? Yes, Russell Wilson has been very good. Isn't surrounded by a ton of skilled players. Jadavian uh, Clowney has enhanced that defense, but that defense hasn't been great all year. Um, you know, Green Bay is a team where we've seen Green Bay look really good. We've also seen them lose to Philly. You know, like there have been a number of moments with these and to LA where these teams and you go, okay, they've got high ceilings, much like the Vikings, but we also know how low that floor can go. And I don't think there's any juggernaut uh, in the playoff picture right now in the NFC, which should make Vikings fans feel good. They can go out and beat anybody. Uh, among the teams they would see in the playoffs. Well, and then and you talked about home field advantage. You would certainly want it. You don't want to go to Lambeau in January. You nope. don't want to go to New Orleans ever. Don't want to go to Seattle. You do not want to go back to Seattle. Nope. So if if you're gonna limp in as a wild card, you know it, it. It I don't know if you have to go to San Francisco. That doesn't seem very foreboding. Yeah. Uh, they've already won in Dallas. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't feel too bad about going there, but you do not want to have to be. Uh, outdoors in Green Bay, indoors in in New Orleans, and out west in Seattle again. Uh, so home field does come into play huge. And like you said, if you get that and you go on a run, you beat Seattle and you win the next five games, you're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got that spot, and that could change everything. Because I think the Vikings at home uh, are a Super Bowl team, even if they've got to go play one game at San Francisco at New Orleans. They still have a chance, a really good chance, I think. We just watched. We just watched the Saints lose to the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. I mean, at home. Yeah, there's just no team that makes you go. They're unbeatable, and, and I think the Vikings would be in a great position in that situation. On the road, 
who do they beat? You know, on the road, in the playoff, everything attached to that, you can see them losing and, and losing by a touchdown or two in, in that scenario, whether it's Seattle, whether it's Dallas, New Orleans. So I think home field advantage is a huge thing winning these next four to five of these next five games. But I think Seattle will set the tone because if you get blown out at Seattle, now we're right back to can you do this consistently, which remains the question. And it, it remains a question for Cousins, but it also does for their defense. 100%. Because we haven't talked about that, and it's it's almost a tale of two defenses. I mean, yeah. you look at their interior and their linebackers, and you go, that's the strength of it, obviously. They're still a top-five unit. But on the back end, they're a mess. Yeah, uh, they're not consistent. Xavier Rhodes is a shell of his former self. Now you got Harrison Smith nursing a hamstring from the yeah. other day. I, you know, who you know kept Thielen down for three weeks. Uh, that's going to be worth monitoring. Mike Hughes, teams have identified as somebody Targeted they're going to go after. Yeah, uh, you know Trey Waynes can be a playmaker, but he's been soft as well. And this is. You know, this is Zimmer's baby, right? He came up through the ranks as a defensive backs coach. Mm-hmm. He's often seen uh, dressing him down on the sidelines, uh, and he hasn't been too kind about Xavier since training camp. But he shouldn't be. I mean, he's been good. No, know? and then I think that hip is still bothering him to to a degree, and probably won't let on about it. But he's not the same player he has been in the past. So if they go out to Seattle and get picked apart. Now you're going to have not only questions about Cousins, but uh, the suspect defense that laid, uh, you know, gave up 20 points at home to Denver and fell behind and and can't you know you can't be in that situation in the playoffs. You can't be in that situation against a good team, and Denver's not a good team, and they're in that scenario. So if anyone's going to pick you apart too, it's Russell Wilson. Yes, who, who has the throw of the year? I mean, the throw he had on Thursday night football a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is one of those guys who, if you've got a weakness, he'll. He'll find it, you know, to your point. And I think this thing is shifting a little bit in that you know what Kirk Cousins is. You know how explosive that offense can be, even if it's not consistent. Do you trust this defense to make a big play at the end of a game? If this thing comes down to a close game and it's not Kirk Cousins, if it's in that defense's hands, do you trust them? Now, they did Sunday. Uh, at the very last stand, they yes. made three defensive st- uh, stops, making in, up for the, making up for <laughs> what they right. didn't do. So they they break even as far as yeah, we're concerned, yeah. right? Um, we talked about maybe grading them out as an overall grade just before we went on. Uh, you know, letter grades you can make a case for a lot of them. I'm going to go. I'm just going to go B minus, and I'm going to oh, wow. go. I'm going to go go minus. Okay, you're a hard uh, tough grader, man. Well, because we expect I expected this to be a twelve. 12 win team and yeah. I think it still can be uh, but I yeah I I don't I don't like the way the defensive has played uh cousins I'm starting to come around on but the bar is high here this is the Super Bowl window they've had you know they have a lot of explaining to do for eight seven and one uh so the biggest game of the year is their next one yeah. so the B minus can become an a very quickly um, and it can be a C minus if they lose too so I, I'm I, I'm sorry. I've been around too long. I've seen. I've bought in too much. Uh, I expect it to happen within the next year, or I don't see it happening at all. <laughs> no, no. The window is. I mean, this is the window, right? I mean, you've got to perform now. Uh, B minus. I definitely understand. I would say a B plus. Okay. Only because you know, if you're eight and three going into the bye, you know, you you got a chance. Kirk has been solid. Um, Dalvin. Digs and what he's been able to do, and the defense collectively, they've been a top 10 group. Why they're not an A minus to me and not in that conversation is 
the best teams in the league are opportunistic in that they will crush an inferior opponent. And Minnesota has not done that. We've seen that now Chicago's not really a good team, and they couldn't beat that team. You go to Kansas City, and Patrick Mahomes is not playing. The MVP of the league, maybe the best quarterback in the league, is not playing. You have to destroy Matt Moore. You have an opportunity against the Denver Broncos where it's right there. You just beat a Dallas team that might be a playoff team. You just went on the road and shocked the world. You've got to stomp on that team, and they didn't do it. They're down 20-0. To to me, the thing you admire about the Patriots when they've been at their best, the thing you admire about some of these dominant franchises we've witnessed throughout the history of the NFL is they will pounce on you Mm -hmm. and show no No mercy. mercy. This is still a team that it's almost as if they adjust their level of competition, how competitive they're going to be based on the team they're facing. And I said this to Collar. I think the Vikings would have been better off playing the Chiefs with Mahomes because I think mentally they would have been different. Like this is just a team where you can't tell them there's a gimme. Yeah, and they you, let Matt yeah, Moore beat them. You can't tell them there's a four-foot putt to, to, to win the Open. You know what I mean? You've got to tell them that, hey, everybody's going to be available. There's going to be a really difficult game because if you tell them it's going to be easy, they just don't know how to function in that scenario. So I'm still waiting for that dominant performance that reminds you, okay, this is how good they can be, and this is how they can show you that, okay, they're on a certain level. Denver was that opportunity. Kansas City was that opportunity. Chicago, and they failed in all those cases, in my opinion. Well, after Seattle, they got Detroit rolling into town, and they're mailing it in, so that should be an opportunity at home to stomp on an inferior opponent. Uh, Brian Murphy in for Matthew Collar. Myron Metcalf is here as well from ESPN. Uh, Fred Cox, the Vikings' all-time leading scorer, former place kicker, one of only 11 members on all four Super Bowl teams of the 1970s, passed away yesterday at the age of 80. He had been battling some recent illness. Um, not only one of the great Vikings greats, but a great human being, but also one of the inventors of the Nerf football. Uh, joining us after the break will be my former colleague at the Pioneer Press, Chris Thomason, who wrote uh, a nice feature story and obituary on Fred Cox in today, up on TwinCities.com. It'll be in the newspaper on sunday we'll talk to chris about about fred cox's legacy and uh an interview he had with fred just as recently as saturday about uh about his career and that nerf football invention uh this is brian murphy and myron metcalf on purple daily on score north Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Score North download time. Jonathan here with this hour's download. You can download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards because this month one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the Score North mobile app. All you have to do is download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards and you have your chance to win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the free Score North mobile app. Stefan Diggs on Good Morning Football yesterday asked about Cousins, his quarterback, as an MVP candidate, here's what he had to say about that. I feel like he has a case. You know, um, 
Uh, my case earlier was, you know, Dalvin Cook. No, oh, yeah. You know, but Kirk Cousins playing lights out right now. You can't, you can't dispute it. You can't go against it. He had a uh, comeback this past weekend, and people, people want to go against him. But at this point, he's playing well. You, what you gonna say about it? You know, my guy for a while was Dalvin Cook. Still yeah. is my guy. Yeah. Under the table, don't say that. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, he's a special player. I feel like he's a special player. He can do everything. And uh, um, was it that night against the Cowboys? He shined. Now back to Purple Daily. Fred Cox uh, proved uh, adept at many things. Uh, he was Vikings place kicker from 1963 to 77. Remains their all-time leading scorer with 1,365 points. Uh, when he retired, he was second in NFL history at the time with 282 field goals. Then he earned a chiropractic degree, uh, and he had a successful practice for about 16 years after he had retired. And then in 1972, he signed a contract with Parker Brothers that has no expiration date. Uh, and he helped create the Nerf football. And checks have continued to roll in every year uh, for as much as two to $400,000 a year. So Cox, who passed away yesterday at the age of 80 after a short illness, uh, was an interesting, interesting character, to say the least, and one of the Vikings' all-time greats. Joining me now is my former colleague at the Pioneer Press and TwinCities.com, Chris Thomason. Uh, Chris, you wrote about Fred. Uh, it's up on the website today, sort of a lengthy profile and obituary. It'll be in the Sunday newspaper. What uh, What do you think ultimately Fred Cox's legacy is? I mean, there's not too many people who have been so successful in so many different fields as Fred Cox. I mean, here he was, one of the best kickers uh, in the NFL during his period. I know it's a totally different era, and people might look at his stats now and go, what? But uh, back in the day, I mean, he was all pro one year, pro bowl another year. And uh, he gravitates from that to being a successful chiropractor he had a booming business that as you mentioned was open for about 16 years in buffalo minnesota and not only that he's the guy who invented the nerf football so uh or at least was one of the inventors of the nerf football so uh some people i noticed it was uh i think it was the espn.com website the headline of his passing was ex-viking kicker inventor of the nerf football fred cock died so uh he had that going as well so um yeah and i'm sure we'll talk about it but i had a chance to sit down just last saturday six days ago and talk to him at length how did that uh interview come about well i'd reached out to a fam i well i'd reached out on his cell phone to touch base with him on an article i didn't know that his health was uh bad and then a relative ends up texting me back saying, well, Fred's in hospice care right now. And this was probably about a week and a half ago that I heard back Fred's in hospice care right now. And, uh, but he has some good days and some bad days and he might be willing to talk to you. And I'm like, well, that's very interesting. So I reached out to the family and then was told, well, do you, Want to do the interview in person or on the phone? I said, well, I'd be honored to go out and meet Fred and talk to him. I had spoken to him on the phone several occasions for stories, but had never actually met him. So I went out to the house in Monticello where he lives and uh, 
it's actually a pretty modest house. I mean, here's a guy who made millions and millions in his life and checks from Nerf coming in 400000 a year, 200000 virtually every year. But he had given a lot of his money away over the years to charitable endeavors and to a local church. So I met with, they first said, you have 20 minutes to talk to him. But I talked to Fred for about 45 minutes. And uh, he was, you know, we talked about his entire life. And uh, if you read the article, a very courageous man. I mean, he pretty much was saying, you know, hey, I know my time is done, but nobody's lived more of a life than I have. And he even kind of in a semi-joking manner talked about his pastor having come by the other day and they were preparing for his funeral. So it was uh, very interesting talking to somebody about who'd had such a great life and they knew their life was soon about to end. It wasn't known at the point that it would end as quickly as it did. I mean, I didn't, from seeing him last Saturday, I mean, he joked about whether he would still be around in crisp, at Christmas time, and that, in my mind, I was thinking maybe that was more of the time frame. And then I had checked with his uh, wife on uh, Sunday, and she said he had a great day last Sunday, and apparently the early part of Monday, but I talked to her yesterday, and apparently he just took a turn for the worse on Monday and then uh, died by Wednesday night. He he played uh, from the early 60s until the late 70s when so many changes unfolded in in the NFL. What did he have to say about that, just so the evolution of the game that he witnessed from the start of his career to the end? Well, a couple points on that. I asked him about, I mean, he was a conventional-style toe-style picker, and he said Norm Van Brocklin, his first coach, wouldn't even let him use a kicking shoe. So (laughs) he had to kick, I guess, with a regular cleat. And finally, at least when Bud Grant came in in 1967, he let him wear a kicking shoe. So uh, his uh, he improved uh, after that. And, uh, I mean, it was a completely different era. I mean, he was talking about as a kicker kicking off, one of the key things he had to do was get down the field as fast as he could because he was one of the guys who was going to help break the wedge. I mean, they expected him to be as much of a tackler as any of the other 10 guys on the kickoff team. And then we talked about field conditions and kicking outside at Metropolitan Stadium. I mean, he he would uh, hear the the wind outside in the morning of the game and go, oh, and so he said he nearly got chills, and then he would go out and the weather would be freezing, and he said he was like... Uh, kicking a chunk of ice how hard the balls were sometimes what uh you know he didn't he didn't start out as a kicker in college how did he become a kicker um well he was always a kicker and an all-around type athlete growing up in suburban pittsburgh and at the university of pittsburgh he was a star running back and uh but he was just a better kicker than that, he actually, I mean, I didn't get into it into the story, but it's documented. He actually got drafted or first joined Cleveland, and they had Lou the Toe Groza, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest kickers ever. So he wasn't going to make that team, and so he gets cut, and then he actually joined the Vikings in the first year 
he got cut with the Vikings. Rosters were 38 players at that stage, and they had Mike Mercer, who was the first kicker in Vikings history in 61, who was and also was the uh, punter. So they wanted to use him for both roles. So roster spots were at a premium. So he actually got cut, and then it occurred to them, I think, that Mike Mercer wasn't the answer. So they brought in Cox in his rookie year, 63. He actually kicked and punted, and he admitted he was a terrible punter. If you look at his stats, he averaged like 37, 38 yards a punt. So then they finally, uh, he was exclusively a kicker his second year, and they brought in another punter, Bobby Walden. Uh Chris Thomason of the Pioneer Press uh, writing today online and in Sunday's paper about uh, Fred Cox, the uh, Vikings' all-time leading scorer, longtime time kicker who passed away yesterday um, after a brief illness um, and at his home in Monticello. And, and Thomason, Chris here, had a chance to talk to Fred on Saturday to kind of talk about his career and, and his life. Um, so, Nerf, uh, how did this all evolve and, and start? Well, he said uh, John Maddox, this guy that he knew, showed up at his door one day and said he had uh, an interesting concept and he wanted to talk to him about it. And uh, he wanted to kind of have like a goalpost and a football for kids. He had the goalpost and uh, he was thinking of something or other for a ball. And he wanted to be kind of heavier or at least like a regular football. And Fred was like, well, you do that. There's going to be a lot of sore legged kids out there. I mean, you can't have them kicking a regular ball. So he said, you got to have something foam and all of that. And uh, so they ended up going to an injection molder in uh, the twin cities and had somebody come up with uh they made six balls. I think well, they actually made a first one, and it was way too heavy, and they came back, and then they made another, and Fred's like, okay, this looks pretty good, and they gave it to the local kids. He was living in a dine at the time to uh, play with it for the next two weeks, and they were worried that it would all get scuffed up and everything, but the guy did such a great job that two weeks later, the ball was still in great shape. So then they went off to Parker Brothers, which uh, had been – trying to come up with a Nerf football-type deal that was suitable. And they show up, and they bring out this giant box with all these prototypes of balls that they've been trying to make and saying, we've been trying to do this for two years, but we've never come up with a ball like yours. Yours is perfect. And they pretty much signed him to a contract right there in the spot. When he talks about, obviously, he has this amazing legacy what moment in his football career really stood out? I mean, what was the moment where, you know, he was really proud of, of both what he and his team had achieved? You know, in terms of, of football, he kind of admitted that he played football for a living. And, uh, you know, he said he doesn't look back a lot, but he does look back. And, yeah, I guess that was pretty good. I scored a lot of points, but he doesn't uh, – on over his uh, football career, and I think maybe one reason is because he was so successful in other walks of life. In 1974, he said he wanted to quit because he could make double the amount of money as a chiropractor, maybe about 100000 than he did, did as a kicker, 50000 But Bud Grant convinced him to hang on for three more years, and he 
to groom the successor to him, who was uh, Rich Danmeyer, who was one of the last straight-on kickers. I think the last ones in NFL history, Mark Mosley was the last one, and before that it was Danmeyer. So he reluctantly kind of uh, hung on to groom this guy, but there's not a lot of Vikings paraphernalia, or there wasn't in his house when I was there. He did have... uh, on the wall, kind of a signed frame thing of uh, eleven of the eleven players who had played in all four Viking Super Bowls, but he said that was more of a reminder of the camaraderie. So probably his, his highlights in football were more so the camaraderie of the teammates and the friends that he made, maybe versus the actual games. Did he ever have any, you know, a defining winning kicks or misses over his career? Uh, basically, I mean, I don't know if he had any super dramatic kicks that I could think of, but the Vikings, if you look back on some of their scores, I think like back in 71 or 72, they beat the Packers three to nothing. And they had such a dominant defense back then that, uh, one field goal maybe would be enough to win the game because, uh, the Viking defense was so dominant back then in the late sixties, early seventies. Well, Chris, since we have you here, we were talking at the top of the hour, just sort of Vikings at the the state of the Vikings at the bye. They're eight and three. Obviously, they're not playing this weekend. Um, what are you looking forward to, or what are you looking most at as they come out of the bye that that may shape their uh, their destiny here the rest of the season? What do you think is going to really uh, uh, need either need to happen or that what what do they have to create to have happen? What do you think it's going to have to be? Well, this Seattle game right out of the gates, I mean, you cannot overestimate the importance of this Seattle game a week from Monday. I mean, this could determine their entire season. If they beat Seattle in Seattle to go to 9-3, and three, I mean, all of a sudden this is a team that's contending to potentially have a bye and position themselves for a long playoff run. If they lose to Seattle, then they're – probably, you know, the odds are they're in that number five or number six spot because right now, I mean, the Packers play the 49ers on Sunday. That'll be a key game, but if the Packers keep winning, the Vikings cannot control their own destiny because even if uh, they beat the Packers December 23rd, Monday night game, the Packers are still the odds-on favorite to win the tiebreaker because they have no division losses and the and the uh, Vikings have two. So this this Seattle game is absolutely huge for playoff positioning. And lastly, uh Kirk Cousins, you've seen him play every game here. You've you've known sort of the ups and the downs and and how people are judging him. Where do you think he sits right now as as the solution to the Vikings quarterback ills and then just as in in terms of uh galvanizing the locker room as sort of the guy? Well, I mean, you can't deny the job that he's done since the start of October. I mean, who knows what got into him. There was a lot of old, same old Kurt back in September. He performed, he underwhelmed in games at Green Bay, at Chicago. They lost them and uh, all kinds of criticism. And then he's just taken off like wildfire. I mean, some of it, granted, has been against lousy teams, but winning the Dallas game was obviously huge for him. 
he had had a bit of a setback the previous week against Kansas City, so you're thinking same old Kirk. But, uh, I mean, there's, he's still going to have scrutiny. This Seattle game coming up, prime time, biggest game of the season. If he lays an egg in that one, people be saying, you know, same old Kirk. So every week, you know, he's got another chance, and this is obviously a big one now to find out uh, if he can continue the great pace that he's been on. All right, Chris, thanks, man, for coming on and talking. Uh, Like I say, it's a great story on TwinCities.com right now, and it'll be in the Pioneer Press on Sunday, uh, sort of a retrospective on Fred Cox and his life, both as the Vikings' all-time leading scorer and place kicker, but also what he was able to accomplish off the field in retirement. Good talking to you again, my man. All right. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Take care, Chris. Yeah, I it's you know I I've looked at some YouTube highlights of Fred. It's just so strange, to different see deal, these strange, yeah. uh, straight on kickers uh, and and how they, you know, uh, somebody like him who became a dinosaur. But even like Chris mentioned, Mark Mosley, I remember in the early '80s with with Washington was still doing yeah. this and winning games consistently. Uh, I I I would love to see how maybe a, a, a sort of a younger modern era kicker if he tried to come back as a straight kicker what the longest kick would ever be. I never looked at, like, Mosley's long one or Cox's, yeah. but I can't imagine they're going more than 50, or, or more, uh, eclipsing 50-plus. Now these guys routinely bomb them from, from 60 yards away, but, I mean, just a completely different era. Well, and part of history, right? I mean, you had to do what he did to get to sort of that next stage of uh, of kickers we see today. So, I mean, it's, it's fascinating for me to think of anyone playing almost 20 years you know, almost in three decades, early sixties, the late seventies, and just how much the game, oh, and the business of the, the athletes NFL. and the business, everything like what was happening, the merger, like so many things happened that set up the NFL that we now see uh, today. You know, and it's just fascinating that a guy could, you know, be that good on the football field, that consistent, and have this other idea that also makes him millions of dollars and. A lot of people know him for that. I mean, I think it's hard for a lot of athletes to find something else. You know, most athletes, when they pass, we go, let's look at their numbers. Let's look at their stats. Let's look at what they did on the field. And with Fred, it's a little different because he's got this entire life outside the football field. And it sounds like he was pretty proud of that, that he had done what I think maybe a lot of other athletes struggle to do at times, Brian, and well, create that identity away from their sport. Well, we talked too, but, you know, and in that era, certainly in the 60s, even into the 70s, as a kicker, you're not making a ton of money. I mean, these guys had to work yes. on the, during the off season. So he went out and got a degree to become a chiropractor, built a successful practice. Um, and then again, he has you know, this representative from Hasbro or Parker Brothers kind of come to him with this idea. And he says, no, 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 you got to do this. We got to make the ball soft so that the kids can, you know, use it and not, you know, the, the kids aren't going to want to kick a real ball to practice with it. And it turns out to be a nerf, which not only revolutionized play. I mean, you could play indoors with a nerf yep. and not damage the house. All them. I mean, I played indoors with my brother oh, down in the basement or outside. You could throw the thing 70 yards. If you got it, yes. got a nice uh, cross yes. downwind. Um, that thing was great. And they're still used today. And the, the mini ones, the large ones, the one with the tail is what we, we love. We yeah. just launched that. Yeah. We'd have contests forever. Throw it in the bushes, go look forward. Oh, that was fun. And it just, for him to have the foresight to think, well, no, kids aren't going to want to play with that. They're going to want to play with this. And then I don't know how shrewd he was about the contract, but, you know, they said that, you know, uh, back in the day, t- these toy representatives said most toys 
after five years, nobody pays attention to him anymore. We'll move on to the next thing. So he signed an open-ended contract that paid him annuities forever <laughs> till uh, till that. So that I mean, I but you mentioned uh, you know a, a lot of, of the life, athletes right? too. What's that? That's a hell of a life, man. Yeah, it is. And you mentioned too. Uh, a lot of these athletes now, I mean, you know, they make so much money playing, they don't have to go out necessarily yeah. and, and earn a living and and sort of yeah. survive the next forty years. You know, pay your bills uh, as as Fred obviously had to, and that haunts some of them too. I mean, some of them don't know where they're lost, what to do. They're lost. They got you, the money in the bank, they don't know what to do. Yeah, and that's where you can get in trouble. Yeah, you get surrounded by people that tell you all the greatest schemes. And yeah, then you lose everything. So he has one thousand three hundred and sixty five points. That's a lot of kicks That's and a lot. lot of extra points. Yeah. Granted, he played from 63 to 77, but I'm still, I keep, I keep thinking, you know, this is a franchise that had Randy Moss, yeah. Chris Carter, Adrian Peterson, uh, heck, even like Robert Smith, yeah. uh, Tommy Kramer, uh, all these guys, all the touchdowns that these guys accounted for still have not eclipsed Fred Cox. Yeah. He's still number one in franchise history well, with that, that many points. Well, kickers are kind of like the tax man, right? I mean, they get a cut. No matter what anybody gets, they're going getting a little cut of that. So, and I think he retired second only all time to George yes, second Blanda. In, yes, in scoring and history, George, I believe played until he was forty eight or forty nine. I yes. believe, and he was a quarterback too. Yeah, I mean, he played a long time. So, uh, it's fascinating, man, to be to be that good, and then to be that good off the field to have that great idea, and then to be a good chiropractor too. That. There's a movie in there somewhere. I, I would think so. You're right. Smart, you know. And uh, you know that he stayed in town. You know, he uh, he, he lived in Monticello. Uh, his practice was in Buffalo. But in reading Chris's story too, a lot of former Vikings from that era. I mean, they just talked about him at just what a, a gentle soul he was, and yeah. what a great all around guy, and how driven and focused he was off the field. And they're not surprised that it that he became that successful. So anyway, uh, you know, sad to hear that news that Fred Cox passed. But uh, man, what a life he led both uh, on and on and off the field. Well, it is the Vikings bye, which means news is a little quiet this week on their front. But uh, it's the NFL, and the headlines <laughs> never stop. And uh, Miles Garrett, who's been in them for a week. Uh, has been in some white hot headlines the last couple of days. We'll revisit the brawl heard around the world and the racial slur that maybe wasn't heard anywhere uh, when we come back for the second hour of uh, Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Miles obviously hasn't been in the building, so um, I've reached out, you know, just to show my love and support. Like I said, as a guy who, you know, since I met Miles, he's a very straightforward, honest person. You know, he is um, what he appears to be, so that's what the appeal process is for, and you got to kind of let the NFL handle that. Yeah, Miles Garrett, the story that won't uh, die, and it, not only will it not die, it, it uh, takes on a different life, uh, it seems like, every other day with uh, suspensions and reductions and uh, cross-accusations and apologies and, and whatnot. But uh, it really uh, exploded again yesterday, a week later, uh, after the brawl in Pittsburgh uh, in Cleveland between the, the Steelers and the Browns. Uh, the NFL has found, quote, no such evidence that Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph directed a racial slur at Browns defensive end Miles Garrett uh, prior to last week's brawl. That's according to uh, league spokesman 
Brian McCarthy. Uh, Garrett had made the allegation during an appeal hearing with the NFL on Wednesday, according to uh, ESPN. So Garrett came out with another statement later Thursday saying he stood by his claim and, and expressed disappointment, I guess, shocked that it leaked, which I cannot understand that because everything in the NFL leaks. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is what uh, this is what Garrett said. I was assured that the hearing was space that afforded the opportunity to speak openly and honestly about the incident that led to my suspension. This was not meant for public dissemination, nor was it a convenient attempt to justify my actions or restore my image in the eyes of those I disappointed. I know what I heard. Whether my opponent's comment was born out of frustration or ignorance, I cannot say. But his actions do not excuse my lack of restraint in the moment. And I truly regret the impact this has had on the league, the Browns, and our devoted fans, end quote. Uh, Rudolph, of course, vehemently denying that uh, that he's directed anything at, at Garrett, uh, who is suspended indefinitely and has to sit down with Roger Goodell at some point to uh, lobby for his own reinstatement. Myron, I, I don't know what to, to make of uh, the, the allegation and the, the curious timing of it and also the naivete of Garrett that didn't, of thinking it would never come out. Yeah. I, I'm not understanding what the play is. Uh, certainly nobody's corroborated it by what they may have heard during the melee, in the melee. Uh, you know, it's the NFL. There's field mics everywhere. Nothing's come out that it would indicate uh, that that was uttered, and yeah. and if it was, you would think it would have been screamed from the mountaintops Thursday night that it happened, or certainly by Friday, and it doesn't come out until a week later. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like Miles is on an island at this point. I mean, there there isn't anyone, even listening to Odell Beckham Jr., no one's latching on to, hey, I stand by this guy and everything he said. And, you know, this these are NFL locker rooms where guys tend to come together uh, when there's a reason to do so. So I, I think it says a lot that, to me, you haven't heard a teammate, someone say, yeah, I was there, or or, or he responded a certain way. I'll just, a couple of situations I'll say. Well, one, I think when you're an African-American and you hear that word, it triggers an emotional response unlike anything I can that I can compare it to. Uh, it, it's only happened to me twice in my life, directly. One, The second one was even almost indirectly, but... I was a kid, fourth grader. This guy, kid called me. He was two years, three years older than me, twice my size. I went at him. I jumped on him. I didn't win the fight, but I fought him, right? Uh, I was about 30 years old, leaving a, a local establishment, and I'm walking to my car with some buddies, and some guy on the side goes, hey, what's up, my N-word? Mm-hmm. I yep. know he's talking to me. I didn't fight him. Uh, only because, you know, at that time, you had more, I had more to lose. I, I'm not 22 anymore. Sure. You got to pick and choose your battles. However, anyone who says that to me in the context that Miles Garrett is suggesting, I'm going to want to fight. Like my idea, my immediate thought is going to be, I got to punch that person in the face, right? Like that's the the emotional trigger. I say all that because Miles, to me, is going to tell anyone and everyone what happened if that's what happened right away in the immediate aftermath you could not help but tell that story tell teammates coaches people on the field uh, media like i don't know how if that's what happened you hold that in when you know and this is the social media era yeah miles garrett knows what's happening online I and mean, he he's seeing the video and the response 
He's getting text messages and tweets. He knows that this thing has gone from a scuffle to you're on international news. It's an event. It's an event. So to me, as a guy who sees that and goes, I'm about to get kicked out of this league. I'm about to get a long suspension. Uh, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. If that is the case, I am going to make sure, this is just me, Brian, that if that guy said that, I'm going to let the whole world know. You might hate me for hitting a guy in the head with a helmet, but I'm going to make sure that you know that that individual said something that even if you don't agree with my response, you understand my emotion, and that didn't happen. And that's what makes it difficult to process this. I'll say this. If, in fact, Mason Rudolph did say that and there's evidence of that, you kick him out of the league. Yeah, he goes right? too. Yes. But then we have to have the other conversation. To me, if there is evidence that Miles Garrett is being deceptive as, as a way to what he thought was going to reduce his suspension, you should extend his suspension. And I think the NFL, if he's lying, and they can prove he's lying, should make it more difficult for him to get back into the league because it makes it so difficult on someone who may experience that situation Absolutely. legitimately if, in fact, that's what happened. For, from from either coming forward or being believed. Yeah, so I just I have a hard time with the 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 events. And if you watch the fight again, uh, Miles Garrett hits him, and then a player for the Steelers, I think it was Villanueva maybe, is holding him down. And Miles isn't thrashing and fighting. He's just sort of sitting there like, a, a kid who just threw a rock through a window, and and now their parents like, caught. what did you just do? Yeah. And you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I just did. He was not, to me, in the aftermath going, hey, everybody, you got to, this guy said something. How I mean, dare you call me that I mean, and you get in his view. You right. would be losing it, Yeah, I would think, in that scenario. Well, you can speak. You just spoke to that. Yeah, and I think um, that's why even, you know, my African-American friends, and, you know, we have conversations about things like this. The conversation we've had is, yeah, something doesn't add up here to the timing of it, um, why he's saying it, why no one's backing him. So I think a lot of people are keeping their distance even more from Miles Garrett. And now he's coming back with another statement on top of that. Well, he comes back with a st- He apologized on Saturday. This was not addressed through the Browns yeah. at all. Uh, he comes back. And stands by his claim, uh, but then waters it down by saying, you know, but this was not meant for public consumption. I mean, if anything, you would want yes. it for public consumption. Yes. Uh, for your, if you're rallying, uh, look, you're not going to get excused for beating a guy over the head with no, your helmet. No, no, no. Uh, but there would be an understanding and there would be a, uh, there would be a shift in public opinion. And 100%. I think even, uh, whether or not the league would soften its stance, it would certainly look into uh, Mason Rudolph a, lo- a lot harder as well, and, and get, put him in the, in the hot seat as well. It's the timing of it, and it's also I, I questioned his the team around him, not the Browns, but his agent, his lawyer, his advisors, uh, and, and I'm wondering, I'm curious if this will come out. Like, whose idea was this? Uh, yeah. Because if it wasn't true, and if it was used as a as a bargaining chip yeah boy that's a cynical way to go and and you're undercutting yourself your case your cause and also as you said it's going to discourage anybody uh, you'd hope in 2019 uh, it's, a lot of stuff is said in the trenches but you'd hope in 2019 uh nothing like that is uttered in the trenches but if it were it's going to discourage somebody from coming forward 
and even coming forward being believed. Well, and I, I think, um, you, you know, you're in harm's way stepping out on that football field no matter what. And I'm sure guys say stuff. I'm sure guys say stuff that crosses lines. Sure. Right? Gets personal. Um, but I also have to believe that there are limits to that just because that's a league that will spit anybody out. That's a league that'll kick Mason Rudolph out of the league and never talk about him again, and nobody will care. He's Mason Rudolph, right? That's my why my thing with Miles Garrett is you're Miles Garrett, you're a former top pick. If you come out and say that this happened, people are going to go immediately, Brian. You know how this works in the locker room. Immediately to Mason Rudolph, put him on the spot in the aftermath of it, and say, "We were told you said this. How do you respond?" So I, I just think um, the the timing makes you think that he thought maybe there would be some some sort of sympathetic view. Now, what he says in the statement is, I know what I heard. The challenge with that is you can hear whatever you want to hear when you have a six-game suspension. <laughs> you know, when when you realize that, again, this is not, this is not a six-game suspension, actually. This is an indefinite suspension. Right. He has to apply for reinstatement. Right. Miles Garrett is not in the NFL right now. He has to bow down before Roger Goodell at so, some point. So... I don't know what the idea was. You, you know, um, the guy who got his suspension reduced, his name escapes me. Um, from Houston? Yeah, no, from Pittsburgh. The guy who threw the punches oh, and kicked him. So Pouncey, Pouncey. I mean, he kicked him in the head, threw punches, and he got his suspension reduced from three to two games. You know why? I'm sure he said, look, I saw my quarterback get hit in the head with a helmet. I lost it. Mm-hmm. He was honest. The NFL is not going to ignore a claim of a, of a racial slur. And that's why I think you saw one guy's suspension get reduced and another guy's was upheld um, because I think there's doubt as to whether or not Miles Garrett is telling the truth. And the problem is if he's lying, again, if he's telling the truth and Mason Rudolph said this, kick him out of the league. If he's lying, he'll never hear the end of it. Now you're going from a guy who had a scuffle with a backup quarterback. Uh, I know Mason's a starter now, but a scuffle with a guy that no one really knew nationally until this happened. Now you take it to the next level and you hit him in the head. Now you're suspended. Your best bet, buddy, you know, the chips aren't in your favor, no, man. Public support. Hey, it doesn't it would it would help you a lot right now. Leave the casino. Call your buddy, call the Uber, get out of the casino. You know? Because I don't know if you want to roll that dice again. But that seems to be what, what he's doing, Brian, and I just don't get it. And we work in media. Don't you think, Brian, some reporter somewhere in that locker room, even if it's off the record, is going to get a nugget, is going to get something that suggests, hey, everybody. That night. That night, there's something else. And, and if they got that kind of information, what would they do with it? They'd run with it, right? Yeah, it'd be tweeted out before midnight. So it, it's, it's or, hard. To- or his camp would have would have leaked it to Josine Anderson or Adam Schefter, as has been the case throughout the story. They've been breaking most of the news on this, including the, the, the fact that there was this allegation made at the hearing yesterday. Yes. So... That would have come out at some point over the weekend or in the immediate aftermath. You have to yeah. sense that. Why you're using that as a bargaining chip in your hearing and then naively thinking that that wouldn't come out. In fact, there's some details in the story uh, on ESPN.com uh, about uh, Garrett 
uh, Garrett made the allegation as part of his initial comments during the appeal during the hearing in New York, sources said. It created an argumentative exchange about whether the allegation was permissible to be used in the appeal at that time. When the allegation was made, appeals officer James Thrash remained, quote, stoic and took copious notes, sources said. He did ask Garrett a question about how he might act differently in the future, and Garrett conveyed he would not let events escalate like that Again, the fact that there's details about off, appeals officer James Thrash remaining stoic and taking copious notes. I mean, again, this is, this is you didn't believe him, but also uh, these are the details that are going to that came out. How could you not think that your allegation wasn't going to come out if people are talking about who's taking notes and how their appearances are? I mean. But- Every every and if any major meeting between a player, an owner, a disciplinary hearing, the top NFL reporters are getting those numbers and getting that news. That's coming out. Yes. To think that that you could lay this on the table and not expect anybody to in the ninth hour. It. I mean, and you know the twenty. That's the the other thing too, Brett. Here's what we know. What's what I've I've found that these athletes don't often know. They go to their meetings with their paid PR person, their paid agent. The brothers on the payroll, this team of yes people. Yeah. Right? These folks who their job is to make that person look as good as possible. And if that person walks in the room and says, I'm the victim, you're on his payroll. Okay, you're the victim. We got to paint that narrative. We got to figure that out. What they often fail to do in those rooms that have no windows and TVs and they don't have anyone from the outside who can maybe, you know, give them a lesson on what's really about to happen is they have no perspective. So then in their world, they've, they've created this narrative and they think everybody's going to eat it up. You're miles Garrett. Just say Mason Rudolph called you a racial slur. Everybody's going to eat that up. There's nobody in that locker room, Brian, who's coming to his aid. There's nobody. There's no, there's no prominent player. Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, and Sheldon Richardson. There's no one nope, in that locker room. Everybody was like, let the process run its course. There's nobody saying, that's my man, that's my guy. He heard I know, what he heard. I know he's telling the truth. He called me. He texted me. We went out for drinks that night. You know, we were hanging out. I know for a fact this is what he told me. Are you telling me, Brian, that after an event like this happened that's playing all over America, this guy isn't sitting with some friends or teammates or someone and talking about exactly what went down, like I want to know if he said it happened the exact moment it happened and exactly how it transpired. There's your credibility. Were you? Were you? You know, when you guys were tussling on the ground, he said it then. Uh, how did he say it? What you say to him directly? Like I know when that phrase has been used against me and every other black person I know, you lose your mind. You're not in your right frame of mind, and you don't have the ability to really process things emotionally. But again. People can say, well, that's why you hit him in the head with a helmet. That's not the end of the story. You would tell everybody because you would have to justify how you in that moment lost a sense of reason, lost the ability to do what you might do in normal situations, did something out of character. You would at least want to try to explain what, why what it transpired? Right. What it, why, why it transpired? And you may not. You're not going to get justified. And and if he would have been smart too by saying, "Look, uh, this happened. I take full responsibility for my actions, but so does Mason Rudolph." And you have to convey that to all the people around you. And again, where is the corroboration? 
maybe nobody would have been able to hear it, but boy, there was a pileup of players. There's a lot of players around there. Nobody came forward and said, I heard this too. Uh, that would have caught fire right away. Um, uh, immediately. Immediately. And I think, again, if he's lying and there's evidence he's lying, you suspend him longer, in my opinion. And is that offense almost as uh, egregious as the helmet? It may stick longer. I, I mean, the helmet is bad. He'll be that guy. But in the social media world, that thing goes away. We're talking about his credibility as a, forget even an athlete, just as as a person, man. Like, if you're not telling the truth, if you're not sure, if you're making this thing up, now you got to go back now. So to me, if he's lying, and I don't know if he's lying, right? But there's not a lot of evidence to suggest he's telling the truth. If he's lying, you've got to say right now, this might be his last opportunity to say, look, I messed up. I was trying to spin the narrative in my favor. I said some things maybe I shouldn't have said. And maybe he has a chance, Brian. And maybe maybe, maybe one of his yes-men falls on the sword and said, look, Somebody, I should have talked him off the ledge. He came up with this concoction. We went along with it. Clearly was not the right thing to do. Somebody has to, someone has to, on that field, and we, we talked about this, the malice of the palace, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? So 15 people, years ago this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. People are comparing to that. That's silly. Malice of the Palace was a couple of pace, a bunch of Pacers versus the city of Detroit. Like yeah. they fans, I forgot how many punches landed. By the way, with fans, like how many fans got punched in the face? Yes, like Jermaine O'Neal is sliding on the floor and has this like Street Fighter Sega Genesis punch on a dude's face. It was just it's amazing. And with that, when Ron Artest goes into the stands, all of the Pacers follow him. Because there's this acknowledgement that something has happened that has triggered a response, and we got to rally together, right? Around our dude. Now, not justified. Obviously, all those guys got suspended. But that's our guy. We're getting in a fight. Someone tossed something from the stands. Yeah, a beer on him. He was laying on the table, yeah. It's time to fight. This is the NFL, where guys have superhuman strength. And to me, if in the aftermath of this, if Miles Garrett has been called this and is making it clear that a racial slur has been used, that is going to be the 1991 Royal Rumble and, and, you know, the Rock and Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man Randy. Like, that is going to be an ongoing battle royale where guys are just going to be fighting to a point where you can't control it. After the initial scuffle, it was pretty much under control. I mean, there wasn't, you know, people coming out and flags being thrown for five minutes. After that initial sequence... Everything kind of calmed down because Miles Garrett sort of said, whoa, I went too far. You mentioned something, too, earlier today to me. Uh, Mike Tomlin would have a role into this if if he had any sense uh, that Mason Rudolph uh, went rogue. Yeah. Would you not agree? Or if if that had come back to him? I, I think Mike Tomlin, I'm sure Mike Tomlin, went to Mason Rudolph and said, what happened? You know? And, and and even if you could say Mason Rudolph could lie to the general public, you're not looking at your head coach, a guy who can shape your whole As career. As the backup of Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> you know I mean? right. A guy who can say, oh, uh, oh, you did something like you're on a bus tomorrow back to wherever you came from. Uh, Mike, with the respect he has in the league, I'm certain that Mike had that conversation with Mason Rudolph. Now, that doesn't mean Mason Rudolph told the truth. But I have a hard time believing that Mason Rudolph could sit across from Mike Tomlin, um, who is one of the more respected coaches in all of football, and make up some story. 
right? That that doesn't seem like something a was he a second year player, right? Could do to a Mike Tomlin who's got a Super Bowl ring and the respect of the organization. Because then you go, if you're lying, now it comes back to haunt you at the back end. And now if you're Mason Rudolph, when we find out you said it, you'll never get a job in the league. No, again. you're done. Yeah, and then you know the look. Anybody that follows me on Twitter, you know, knows I'm no. Uh, fan of our current president, but it's also a convenient narrative in some ways too. And I don't know how how cynical perhaps Miles Garrett's camp became, uh, but you know Mason Rudolph is, is is a known supporter of Donald Trump, so that becomes that sort of that fits that nicely as a glove. Where in 2019, it's like, oh well, of course Mason Rudolph said that because he's a Trump guy. Well, you know that's that's awfully convenient, and that's an awfully cynical card to play as well. So I. It, it, but there's no one backing that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, e- even if that, even if politics were involved, to me, I'm waiting for one guy, right? Like one guy in that locker room, one guy in his one guy. Give me one, one guy on the field. I mean, don't don't even give me two. Give me one guy who is willing to get up to a podium to face the question. Hey, this is what was alleged. What do you know about it? Give me one guy who's willing to stand up there and go, okay, this is what happened. All those Pacers, they all got suspended. If you said, hey, w- what happened? Oh, guy threw something at Ron? It was on. I saw it happen. We were ready to fight. That simple. There's nobody in that locker room who's saying, there's nobody in that locker room who's saying, I'll stand with you. And that to me, makes it makes me wonder, is this a guy who Brian is going this is worse than I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a fight. I thought I I swing a helmet. Maybe he thinks he's not even going to connect with the guy. I think that this is going to go away. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting at home away from the game, and you go, "Oh, this ain't going away. This is this is Google your name. You're that guy. I don't know if he has children or a family, or whatever. Everybody. All of a sudden, you all Google these, Miles Garrett. The first word that comes up next to it is helmet. Every coach that you grew up with, every player you grew up with. All these guys who saw you a certain way now are going, whoa, dude. And all of a sudden you've gone from a respected guy in this league to crushed in a matter of hours. And perhaps you're sitting there and you're going, I can't believe this is happening. I can't let this happen. I'm Miles Garrett. I'm a former number one pick. I'm one of the more gifted individuals in the entire NFL. What are we going to do? Play the victim card? Is that what you say? I don't. If he's lying, that's the only way. If he's lying, that's the goal. But it didn't help him, Brad. That's the thing. It, how did this help him? Not at all. Like, how does this, how does any of this, to me, if you hit a guy in the head with a helmet, don't you just shut up after that? Like, don't you just apologize and go sit and let the smoke clear to some degree and just hope people forget? I mean, wouldn't you, I mean, wouldn't Yes, that? and, and I've, and I've, we said it earlier. I think people around him, and as you said, he's, I'm sure he's surrounded by a lot of yes-men, but somebody had to say no. Somebody has failed him. Yeah. His agent, his attorney, his family, his friends. Somebody should have said, Miles, uh, you, 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 and I believe you, but if if there's any part of you that's using this as a, as a bargaining chip right now, don't do it. Because no. you're going to stain yourself more so than this incident, or it's certainly going to make it worse. And you're, there's there's no... There's no way out of that. You yes. know. Now now if he if if he were to somehow come to terms and 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 maybe sit down with Jay Glazer and you wonder would would it would it have come out in that interview 
uh, two uh, that was supposed to happen on what Sunday? I yeah. don't remember Saturday or Sunday. Glazer said, "No, the Browns quashed that." Which yeah. again, it probably doesn't do him any good to sit down and open up a vein to Jay Glazer because anything he said would have been used against him yeah. in that hearing. Um, just a, as we said, the NFL man, it's just their scandals uh, are unlike any other. Uh, they just seem to. There's so many people involved now, so many stakeholders, uh, so much coverage, so much social media reaction. I don't think this is a positive for the league, but I, I don't know. They survive everything. They survive Ray Rice. They yeah. survive Peterson. Uh, they survive their owners doing awful things. It's all publicity, right? It's all anybody's talking about is the NFL. Yeah, but I think... Addressing this as quickly as they did was a very smart move. I mean, by the next day, we knew they shot it. Miles Garrett was out of the league, and other guys had been suspended. There was no let's wait and see, and I, and I and I think that is different from some of the problems they've had in the past of not addressing things right away, letting things linger. And I think with this, and it being nationally televised on a Thursday night, I think it expanded this, magnified it. Um, they knew they had to do something. They had to get out in front of it. They had to say, there's no place in the league for this. And and Miles Garrett never struck me as someone after the game who was anything but apologetic, who was anything but I lost my cool and I did something that I shouldn't have done. And I think from that building block, there's a chance to get back to next season with the Jay Glazers or whoever you're going to sit down with and go, you know what, man, that was the worst thing I could have ever done. I can't believe I did it. I still haven't forgiven myself. You know what these athletes do. But I think this now takes it to a different realm where yeah. you go, is this a guy we can trust at all? Because, again, if he's telling the truth that Mason Rudolph did this, Mason Rudolph, kick him out of the league. But if Miles Garrett is lying, I think you've got to have an equal effect on him. And I think if you're Roger Goodell, you got to delay his uh, reentrance into the NFL. Well, you got to make him. You got to hold him to account for yes. his reinstatement hearing. Then that'll come up at some point, and that'll be the next turn of events with this. Uh, Brian Murphy here in for uh, Matthew Collar on Purple Daily. So it's Week 12. The Vikings are off, but the schedule grinds on. Looking at it, there's a couple of intriguing matchups Sunday night and Monday night in particular. But there's a slate of games on Sunday. I don't know if anybody's going to want to watch. There's some really stinker matchups, but we'll try to break down uh, what to watch, what to avoid, and and what's at stake in Week 12. This is uh, Brian Murphy and Myron Metcalf on Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. Listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, open Score North. And you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Just say, Alexa, open Score North before we get to the final segment of Purple Daily for the week, where we're going to talk about what games we're going to watch this weekend. Let's hear your thoughts, Vikings fans, as your team is on a bye this week. Head over to Score North on Twitter, at SKR North on Twitter. And let us know which game you are most excited to watch in this weekend's slate of games. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the week of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan Harris. Brian Murphy in for Matthew Collar, uh, who just tweeted out, by the way, he did not take a trip somewhere. He's not in a dark room. 
uh, either. But this is this is what Matthew Collar is up to. I really should have planned a trip or something with these days off. I've done the dishes, vacuumed, done laundry, walked the dog more times than even she wanted, played Madden 97, and had a significant dialogue with a volleyball. So the last two things I could oh, see man. Collar doing in a dark room. Wow, just... <laughs> go, talking, are you surprised? Go though? somewhere warm, man. You, you don't have any kids. Get on a plane. Are you surprised? Take the wife. No, Listen. I'm not. I really am not. Um, but you, you, know. ever, you ever want to know? Like he watches those like NFL Network games at like eleven o'clock from like 1978. Sure, it's, it's collar. Well, I watch some of those just for oh, the, those the, great the TV, games. not for the games, but the the broadcast quality, oh, the, broadcast. the graphics, yes. and yes. then and I love seeing that uh, yeah. the actual TV broadcast of it, and you know seeing Fred Cox. In, in yeah. real time. Um, yeah, week 17, uh, or week uh, 12, sorry, uh, is not shaping up to be a banner week as far as matchups go. If you're a Red Zone fan, I'm guessing this is not uh, your favorite week. There's two big night games, though, uh, one with huge implications for the Vikings. Of course, Sunday night on NBC, we've got uh, the Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, Huge game. Monday night is, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Oh, Ravens at Rams uh, on Monday night. 8-2 and two Ravens, 6-4 and four Rams. Packers are 8-2. and two. Niners are 9-1. and one. Uh, If the San Francisco beats Green Bay, they will be tied with the Vikings uh, in first place in the NFC North. So a lot at stake. Niners have looked a little vulnerable the last couple weeks. Um, they were able to come back against... Uh, Arizona, but they uh, they certainly didn't hold up well the night the week before at home. Uh, what uh, I don't know. That, Green Bay's coming off a bye. I don't know what they're gonna they're what they're gonna look like, but I don't see San Francisco looking like the juggernaut they they might have been becoming earlier a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I, I will always say like the the great thing about the NFL is just if there are weaknesses. There's no other league where coaches are as equipped to find those weaknesses over the course of a season. Like, it's amazing the adjustment that coaches can make from game to game, even in the middle of a game. And I think San Francisco's seeing some of that. But, I mean, they lost to Russell Wilson playing mm-hmm. one of the craziest games, you know, big run in overtime. So it takes a lot to beat them. But I still feel like that's a good game because in the NFC, for sure, it's going to come down to quarterback play, I think. San Francisco, has, San Francisco has a great defense, but there are a lot of good defenses in the NFC. It's going to come down to close games in the playoffs. Who has the better quarterback? And that's why I think Jimmy Garoppolo has a lot to kind of prove going up against Aaron Rodgers. If this is that back-and-forth match, can Jimmy Garoppolo make those big plays to help his team get by a really good Green Bay team? So I'm looking forward to... That game, and I think in that game, uh, we're going to know a lot more about the 49ers who lost to Seattle. If they lose to Green Bay Packers, I think a lot of people, Brian, are going to say, eh, yeah, there they are. Yeah, I don't know. They've been exposed. Yeah. Um, top two seeds in the NFC, by the way. So there's a lot at stake for these two teams as well, as far as positioning goes. Monday night, Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, superstar at. The L.A. Rams, the underachieving L.A. Rams, I guess you could call them. Yeah. Um, but they've only, the Rams have been playing pretty good defense lately. They've only allowed, was it 11 points per game over its past four games. Uh, so one of these teams, uh, I, well, how do you how do you even game plan for Lamar Jackson at this point? I don't think you can. I mean, I, to me, he is so much different from any athlete we've ever seen. 
you know, you, you say Michael Vick, but Michael wasn't this balanced. Um, and I still think in terms of the AFC, there's only one team that could beat the Patriots, and that's Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. and the Ravens. I just think he is phenomenal in terms of breaking a game open and going off script. But he can also do a lot within the game plan. I mean, that's the thing with Lamar is people make it seem like he's just running every time. It's not. He just has so many people on edge. You know, you don't know what to do with him. And now you're playing a good Rams defense on the road. Let, let's see if he can keep this up because ever since he was inserted as the starter, he's changed the perception, I think, of the running quarterback in many ways. And we talked before the show. I wonder, Brian, if more coaches going forward are going to look for that athletic kid who may have been a wide receiver, may have been a tight end, may have been a running back, and say, let's help you develop as a quarterback and see how far you can go with it. Because Lamar, I don't know what box to put him in. Didn't we say the same thing about RG3? We we did. We said, I mean, we said this about RG3. There are a number of quarterbacks who we've kind of put in that in that box, but Lamar just is the best runner at that position maybe we've ever seen. And and it might be by a mile. And they're letting him run. Yes. I mean, it might be by a mile in, in terms of I saw some crazy stat in terms of Randall games. Cunningham better than Randall? Well, in terms of games. I believe he is neck and neck with Ladainian Tomlinson in terms of rushing yards. In terms of the first games in the first sixteen games in the league, twenty games or whatever it is, okay. well, he's like right there with some of the greatest running backs of all time. He is to me the best runner we've ever seen at the position, but he also is a smart playmaker. And, and you know, we'll see, we'll see if he can go to to L.A. and do the same thing because if this continues, you have to think they have a chance, right, Brian? Yes, and I like the I'm fact I'm not saying that they, you put money on them, but they got to... No, and it, the, well, they've already uh, passed their test against the Patriots, yeah. too. So, I mean, that's that's an impressive pelt to have on their wall. Um, we we talked at the top of the show, because of the Vikings going into the bye at 8-3, and three, you know, what's impressed us, what's disappointing, what, what uh, the resiliency and all that. Uh, we graded him out. I gave him a B minus, which uh, might have been a little bit harsh. You gave him a B plus heading into the Seattle game. But I guess the question, both for Cousins, of course, because everything is all about Cousins, and the team is, what does define a successful season right now? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, a playoff appearance? Is it a division title? Is it an appearance in the NFC Championship game? Is it finally uh, getting over that hump and getting back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1976? I'm thinking, yes, they need to not just get back to the NFC Championship game where they were two years ago and got rolled, but they need to finally get to the Super Bowl. This is the Super Bowl window. This is the window when Mike Zimmer came here in 2014 and remade that defense. Um, They lost Teddy Bridgewater. They went through Sam Bradford. They patched it together with Case Keenum. But this is their franchise quarterback, this is the defense now that's not going to stay together forever because of the salary cap. Uh, it's not playing extremely well on the back end, but still, they're front four, they're front seven. Uh, th- you can win a championship with these guys. They're playmakers. Yeah. Everything is there right now to be a successful season. I don't care if they go 11 and five and get in as a wild card and roll the table. That's fine. I don't see that happening, but they have to get to the Super Bowl. Playoff appearance is nothing. NFC Championship game, 
meh. Yeah. They've done that. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're right on the money. I mean, Thielen comes back. He's still Thielen, right? Hopefully the hamstring is, he's overcome that. One of the best receivers in the league. And they've done good without him. They've done great without him. Diggs right now. Are there five receivers in the NFL you'd want more than Stephon Diggs right now? I don't think so. So this is a guy playing at a high level. Dalvin Cook, are there two running backs in the NFL that you want over Dalvin Cook? Probably not. We can have the Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. conversation, but that's the only guy, in my opinion, that you're even having a dialogue about in terms of maybe wanting him more than Dalvin Cook. So they've got some of the best of the best at those skill positions. Hey, and Kyle Rudolph is alive and well. Kyle and, Kyle and Irv together. Yeah. Who has that? You know, you got a guy in Irv Smith who's really at separating himself in terms of saying, yeah, he's a rookie, but this guy's a playmaker, Kyle Rudolph. So the weapons are all there. The pieces are all there. And Kirk Cousins has not been the greatest quarterback in NFL history, but he's been a good quarterback, and he's been an efficient quarterback. And when things are clicking with this team, they can beat anybody. I say, at a minimum, NFC Championship game, and you're competitive there. Because I just don't see a team that could overwhelm you. The Saints, you can make the case, have not looked as good since Teddy Bridgewater went to the bench. <laughs> they have not arguably been the same team. They would look like a better team uh, with him. You got a team like the Rams who could surge in the second half of the season. We know what they're capable of doing. But they've had their challenges, certainly. A Seattle team with Russell Wilson, always dangerous. But Russell scares you. The Seahawks don't necessarily scare you. Going to Seattle scares you. But the team itself doesn't scare you as much as that quarterback, that environment. The Green Bay Packers, we know what they are. You know what they're about. San Francisco, great defense. But I think there are a lot of people who almost feel like that's kind of Dallas in 2016 when they're the one seed mm-hmm. with Dak Prescott's, Dak Prescott's rookie year and they play the Green Bay Packers and the Packers beat them, right? I think San Fran has that feel for a lot of folks that – you can't put too much money on a team that might be doing it for the first time in terms of that group, Jimmy G and all those young pieces, Bosa. So I think every team, top to bottom, Brian, you look at them and go, yes, there are some good teams in the NFC. You're going to have to play well uh, to advance in the playoffs. But there's no one that looks unstoppable. There's no one that scares you and goes, oh, there's just no way, right? So I think that's why you go, NFC Championship is an expectation considering what they've invested. If you don't get there, I don't know how you call this a success. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and I, like I said, I think I, you got to take it one step further. Uh, this market is thirsting for yes. a Super Bowl championship. Owens, Owens six in NFC Championship games since 1987. And no chance the last one. Not even close. Uh, you know, you go back to 2000, it was 41 donut. You go to f- 2009, the heartbreak in New Orleans. Uh, and then, of course, well, like, who can forget 1998? Again, it's 21 years ago now, but yeah. the, the Gary Anderson miss, it's just been it's just some biblical losses in the NFC championship game. Um, and a lot at stake here for Mike Zimmer. A lot at stake for Rick Spielman. I believe these two guys are attached at the hip. I think if you, if you if you deem this to be an unsuccessful season, I mean, missing the playoffs puts those guys squarely on hot seats. Uh, getting to the playoffs and losing early uh, can be unforgiving. I don't believe a coaching change 
unless he's badly, badly outcoached in the playoffs, and he has been outcoached in, in recent years, I don't see a regime change necessarily doing you much good. I think the, the locker room believes in Mike Zimmer. The fan base, for the most part, likes Mike Zimmer, likes him as a guy, and and want, is rooting for him. Yeah. So I don't see that falling apart. But Rick Spielman's assembled this roster. Mike Zimmer has shaped it. And if this roster can't get to where they've been building for for the last four years and and flames out again, I I think you can see them being squarely in the on the hot seat, and that that's going to be a difficult decision for the Wills. I mean, they have they decided to fire Brad Childress. They had to. It was an easy decision. He was falling apart in 2010. Leslie Frazier, nice guy, overwhelmed. Defense was a mess. Easy decision. Yeah, I. They are not one to make hasty decisions. I can't imagine how difficult it would be if they fail to make the playoffs or lose early in the playoffs. There's going to be some hard questions to to answer for yeah. uh, from the top. You'd have to have those conversations at a minimum, I think, just because those those are the kinds of conversations you have when you've invested into a team and surrounded a team or or stacked a team with a lot of talent. Offensively, they have that. Defensively, this is a top 10 defensive unit. We've talked about the problems in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Those are things you're going to have to address. But what more do you need? And to me, the reason why the Zimmer question would come up, even with an early loss in the playoffs, is what's going to change. Yeah. So I think you would have to, if you are the 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 wolves if you're if you're Spillman whoever's making these decisions you got to go into year three in that scenario and go why should we expect anything to be different that's when you get into is a change needed and they're probably going to lose Kevin Stefanski potentially I mean this is a offensive coordinator market uh, he's put together one of the best in the league he's young he's a young those are the kinds of guys where they get scooped up and, and they get an opportunity to lead teams because that's where the NFL is is certainly going. I don't know if he wants to go to college, but I mean the collegiate level, there could be a big job that opens up for him as well. But he's going to have opportunities, and, and I think losing early will put everything on the table in terms of what changes need to be made. And if they make these big changes, could you blame them in that scenario? Could you blame them if for some reason it's a disastrous finish or they lose early and they're outplayed in the first game? You couldn't because you've invested in a team that has a window for now. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you miss the playoffs in year one, you struggle in year two, don't win a game, everything seems open and on the table in year three. Yeah, and you have, uh, you spent to the cap. I mean, as Spielman said this week, they don't have anything to spend. They had nothing to give at the trade deadline. Not that they were looking to make any huge moves, but they're they're handcuffed. I mean, they've got everything on the table, all fully invested. Before they pay Dalvin Cook? Yes, they're going to have to pay Dalvin (laughs) Cook. Uh, They haven't, uh, and and if they do, well, if they fail to make the playoffs, that's two years in a row. That's on Zimmer's head. And if they do lose in the first round, that makes his record one and three. And you look at the one victory, again, the Minneapolis miracle. Now, okay, some would say, well, call it a uh, a wash because Blair Walsh missed 27-yard field goal. Should have been a win. Okay, fine. 
Um, but that still only gives you, you know, just one playoff victory out of four tries. Uh, and the last playoff loss was an ugly, ugly playoff loss to Philadelphia. So cosmetics and optics matter as you get into the playoffs because it's what what are you doing in there? How competitive are you? A lot has been made of teams seemingly picking apart Zimmer's defense early and, and out-coaching him. Yeah. Um, he's been able to fend that off a little bit because the team has rallied. Um but he had some splaining to do in the first half, as did that whole unit uh, against yeah. Denver. Um, this is a team that, again, you mentioned earlier that against inferior opponents don't always rise to the occasion. Uh, we can look at that Buffalo Bills game last year, throw that in there. There was a Colts game a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, they they stack up after a while. They they can get up against the, the good teams. We'll see what they do in Seattle. But they've got Detroit. They've got Chicago at home. They've got the Chargers on the road, other than Green Bay, I mean, they, they'd be positioned for 12 to 13 wins. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't believe in moral victories, man, but... In the how, NFL? Are you kidding? Yeah, but how you compete at Seattle matters a lot, too, because Seattle lost to Baltimore in Seattle. You know, the Ravens came to Seattle, and Lamar Jackson was spectacular. They beat the Seahawks in Seattle where nobody wins. But that was a team that I think was almost recharged by that. In we can play with anybody, you know. We just played with a team that beat the Patriots. Now they go to San Francisco and they've got that attitude. Oh, we're not afraid of these dudes. Yeah, it's a good defense, but we just had to solve Lamar Jackson. So you would hope, even in the event of a loss, that this would be a team that comes out of there feeling as if we played a great game against Russell Wilson. You know, we played some of our best football. It just wasn't enough on the road. What you don't want is the letdown. Last year. They're getting smacked by two touchdowns, 17 points, and now you start to question everything. And now you come back and you play this weird Detroit team where Detroit gets a weird win every year in the second half of the season. They're going to beat somebody, right? I know they're a mess right now. Someone's going to lose to that Detroit team. Matthew Stafford comes back. Weird (laughs) stuff happens. Chicago. Chase Daniel is obviously... Beat Minnesota earlier. Now you've got a team that they also have a history with. Green Bay could be playing for home field advantage. And the Chargers could have a Phillip Rivers who is playing some of his last football. You know, who's trying to keep this team afloat after they look pretty good the last couple of years. So a team that lost to a Chiefs team without Mahomes, a team that was down 20-0 to to Buffalo, a team that lost to Chase Daniels, like they're not good enough to go, we got that. That's why I think the tone of the back half, the the last five games will be established at Seattle. And Brian, if you get destroyed in that game, I mean, if you're not even in their league, that is the kind of thing that'll carry over. But if you play great, even in a loss, because I don't expect them to win, if you play great, even in a loss, that can translate. To and it. people didn't expect them to win in Dallas. No, and they went down there great and exceeded expe- expectations. Uh, no, nobody gave them a chance no. down there, and they can play that card. Very well, too, publicly, um, to get people to rally for them as well. Um, Real quickly before we wrap up, um, you mentioned Dalvin Cook. Um, We talked earlier about you know holding off on investing in Kirk Cousins. At what point does Dalvin Cook uh, and maybe his camp have the audacity to say I've outperformed? 
my rookie deal. How about we talk about a new deal? Now, that, look, you, you got to look at the math. It's not there. They're going to have to carve out some some defensive pieces. Yeah. Everson Griffin might leave. Uh, yeah. he's, he's capable. He's they got to go find that money. They're going to find. They got to find that money somewhere. And Cook has to know that. But boy, Cook, man, he's got a, a strong hand to play right now. And and the resurgence of a of the running game and the impact that he's had on this offense and yeah. the ability with play action, you can make the argument. I'm not even touching the ball, yep. but the threat of touching the ball changes how defenses prepare, how we look offensively. Uh, I need to get paid for that. He is, I don't know if anyone has been in a more perfect position as a running back at this point because he's going to get paid after the Zeke deal. Is there anybody who thinks he's less valuable? Right? And if you're the Vikings, you want to pay him before Christian McCaffrey. Because McCaffrey's going to set get the our, market. You want to get in before that. So something in between there, he's in a really good place, man. Myron, man. Good hanging with always you today. Fun, yeah, it's always fun, man. I know. I appreciate you guys having me in here. Uh, Matthew, enjoy your bye week. Get off the couch. Go out and enjoy the sunshine a movie, today. Man, or something. Yeah, have a little bit of culture in your life. Uh, take the concert. weekend. Go to a concert. Take the something, wife to a concert, man. man. Um, nice dinner. Jonathan Harris, thanks for producing, man. Yeah, it was uh, fun. Appreciate thanks it. On, guys. Thanks for Chris Thomason for checking in later. I'm Brian Murphy. Uh, we'll see you at some point next week with, with Collar. This is Purple Daily on the Vikings bye week here on Score North. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. Oh, oh, oh. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.